transition into a time of studying your word. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of communion in this time. We thank you for the sweet remembrance of you, what you've done for us on the cross. If there are words that I'm about to speak that aren't of you, help it just be forgotten as gibberish, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you use these words to penetrate hearts, not because they're mine, but because they are from you, Lord. Your scripture, the power of your scripture. In your name, amen. So appearances are truly fascinating to me. Whether good or bad, they just are. Um, when you think of appearances, honestly, what they, what they serve to do are to give the impression of a reality. Appearances serve to give the impression of a reality. And just think about it. In, in marketing, when you're at the grocery store going down the aisle and, you know, like there are hundreds of different laundry detergents and you look at different laundry detergents, it's actually, I found out this week, the number two factor of why we purchase things behind value is what it looks like. We look and, and we determine from what it looks like which product is better. That's why packaging is so important. How about in the workforce? Who are you going to hire? Depending on the, how the person is dressed, it gives the appearance of the reality that somehow they work harder or that they care more or whatnot. And for sure, sometimes this, these appearances are true. Or how about if I put on a Packers hat? Don't worry, it definitely won't happen. Uh, because that would give the reality that I would be a Packers fan. Ugh, we're not going there. But we're, it would give a, an impression um, of a reality. And now the problem, that's fine and dandy, but, but the problem persists then when it starts to give the impression of a false reality. Like the Packers hat. Here's the best way I thought to illustrate it this week. I got to go skiing for the, really the first time this past winter. Um, Ashlyn and her family and some friends of theirs have been skiing for years at the first of the year, and so I got to go along this year. And um, I say it's really the first time because the first time I went on some bunny hills with some junior high uh, students who taught me how to ski in only the way a junior higher can. That's using food. French fries mean go. Pizza means stop. That's, that's how I know how to ski. Told you, junior hires are great. Um, so I go on this trip with my French fries and pizza knowledge of how to ski, and they're not going down little bunny hills. And, um, I mean, thankfully, I, I can kind of manage there at the beginning. You know, yeah, I fall every now and then, but, but nothing bad. You know, my, my pizza skills were, were improving, and, and over the day, it, it wasn't too bad. We break for lunch, and then we decide we're going to go to the other side of the mountain then after lunch. And I had already done some black diamonds on the other side. You know, my style is make a couple quick passes just, to, you know, to, to keep it from getting too fast, and then just shoot straight down when you see an opening. Um, and that worked for me. But then um, we go to the other side of the mountain, and they're like, hey, here's another black diamond. Let's do it. I'm like, all right, sure. I mean, pizza, french fry, I got this. So I start going. I didn't get to the first turn before I realized, I, uh, pizza ain't going to save me here, uh, my momentum instantly, boom, straight down the mountain from the very top. I understand what they say now about your life flashing before your eyes in a very real way. 
I start flying down this mountain and um, no ability to control whatsoever. My brother-in-law had an app that tracks how fast you are through GPS. He did this, you know, the going back and forth. I don't know what it's called. I'm not a skier, um, but it, slaloming maybe, but um, swooshing. Uh, but uh, he was doing that, and he got up to 56 miles an hour. So I don't know what I was doing, but I was cooking, man. And so I'm flying down this mountain, and I'm terrified. I granted for any guy doing something like that, there's part of you that, you know, you're playing your own theme music in the background. But for most of me, I was terrified. And unfortunately, sorry to your dismay, I made it to the bottom. But that that is sheerly by by true like desperation. I cannot die. I cannot die. This would not go over well with Ashlyn. I cannot die. So I made it to the bottom. But needless to say, I did not go back up and do it again like everybody else. I went and did all the green hills with my mother-in-law and was quite satisfied. I had the appearance that I knew what I was doing. I knew French fry pizza. I had, I had nice skis on. I had the helmet, thankfully. I had goggles. I had, you know, the poles. I had, I mean, I got new snow pants for this trip. I had, you know, everything you need to be a skier. And at the top of the hill, I might have even had the stupid confidence that I was a good skier. And I had no business being up on that hill. That is where the dangers of appearances come into play. When they give the impression of a very false reality, people get hurt, yourself gets hurt, and honestly, the most dangerous form of all this occurs within the church. And that's what Jesus wants to address with us today. The reality is, oftentimes, we, we go on appearances in the church. And that's incredibly scary, as we'll see today. And we need to be very, very careful to not take appearances and make a reality out of them, but rather take the reality and judge all appearances through that reality. You track it, I'll make, it'll make more sense as we get into it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. This is the ending of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this series for several weeks now, and Niall must have realized he saved the best for last, so that's why I'm up here, I guess. Not true. So this is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to start in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, at looking at what is this reality by which we're going to judge all of these appearances that we're going to be looking at today. And it says in Matthew 7:13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few will find it. See, Jesus is starting his conclusion here. He states that the, this is the reality of the Christian life. This is the reality, that the road is narrow. The gate is narrow. It's hard. It's difficult. I put it in your notes as the gate, it's hard, it's unpopular, and it's life-giving. That is our reality of the Christian life. 
It's hard because think, a narrow road. My mind instantly goes to driving around a mountain in Durango, Colorado. I mean, it's narrow enough for a small car, but then you've got the 18-wheeler coming the other way, and then you really get the idea of what a narrow road is. It takes so much more focus. It takes so much more intentionality to be going on a narrow road. It's much easier, it's much more popular to go on the six-lane highway where you can just kind of just hold the steering wheel and go straight right on through Kansas. But the narrow road, that is what we are called to. It's hard. It's very unpopular because of the difficulty. But what does he say? Oh, this is the way of life. This, this is life-giving. And so here are, are your options. Yes, hard. Yes, unpopular. But life-giving or easy, comfortable Christianity, which leads to destruction. Destruction, life. Those are our options. That is the reality that we have to test everything by that we are about to discuss. And so let's jump right into discussing those different appearances. And first, I'm stating it as we need to test the appearance of those who are investing into us. Look with me. At verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. You see, Jesus realizes that we all need to be invested in. We all need those people beside us. We just said the road's unpopular. We just said the road is hard. We need people around us. It's no mystery. I've walked through this life long enough to realize this, and even some of you in this room have carried me through incredibly difficult times in my life. And so it's an incredibly biblical concept that we need people investing in our lives. One of my life verses is when Paul says, follow after me as I follow after Christ. This idea is not new to Scripture. Hopefully, I mean, you won't have to worry about wolves for sure if you don't have anyone investing in your life. I mean, that's a plus, but there's a lot more that you're having to worry about. We could talk afterwards about that, but we all need people investing in our lives. But Jesus gives a warning. Beware of false prophets, he says. Now, a prophet, many of you know in the Old Testament, would take a word from the Lord and then proclaim it to the people. He was God's representative on earth. And so what I believe Jesus is talking about are are people who misuse God's word, that they they either um, taking advantage of the religious system of the day and just just saying, yes, I'm a prophet, here's what God says, and no, and then it's not accurate. Or perhaps it's just they take half of God's word and mix in their own little bit, whatever. But do we think this happens today? Yeah. Yeah, it's really easy for us just to take our favorite uh, Christian pastor, including me, never Niall though, but um, it's easy for us to take those people in our lives and, and make them it. Make them our spiritual celebrities and never test their words against Scripture. We see it in books all the time where it's like we, need, we don't need to just because we read it in a Christian book from the Christian bookstore 
we don't need to test that. No, Scripture is the only thing that is solid, true, 100% of the time. And so, yes, I, I think that's important, but I want to twist this a little bit and make it just a little bit more personal today. What's the heart of what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, test the appearance of those investing in you. And so we need to look at this. He describes them as ferocious wolves. And now I don't know about you, but when I read that, ferocious wolves in sheep clothing, I instantly go to like Wile E. Coyote and the like Looney Tunes and stuff who like literally gets in the sheep costume and then tries to sneak behind the sheepdog to get, a, to get another sheep. That's what my mind goes to. But the stakes aren't that high there. In the cartoon world, they just aren't. But in the reality of today, well, the stakes are incredibly high. The stakes are incredibly high because we just said it's hard and unpopular to stay on the narrow road, and that's what we're called to because that equals life. But how easy is it to take somebody who just, I don't know, wears a bow tie and goes to church and say, oh, yeah, no, I, I can hear them, and, and whatever they say is, is just fine, and I'm going to take their advice. And we run with it, and pretty quickly we can find ourselves on a very broad road. That's why they're ferocious, because they're dangerous. Very dangerous. And that's not a fun word to say, for sure. But we need to be testing those who are pouring into our lives, because I've already said we need those people, but we've got to be diligent, because as disciples, we have a responsibility to be testing. We have a responsibility, because, I mean, just think about it. In the world today, there are hundreds if not thousands of things every week trying to vie for for the right to invest in you telling you what is a good world view what's right and wrong how you should raise your children where you should go to school all these different things we have plenty of things trying to invest in us but as a disciple as true followers of Christ, we have the responsibility to test those through the filter of scripture and see what is true what is important not what looks right. Not what looks popular. It's incredibly difficult. I mean, it, it seems simplistic even to say, but it is incredibly, incredibly difficult. How do we do this then? Jesus is really simple. Look at their fruits. Look at their fruits. What are the products of the people who you are allowing to invest in you? What is being produced by their life. Is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? Is it the fruit of the Spirit or not? Is it love, joy, peace, patience? Are, they, are you seeing them love their husband or their wife well, their family? Are you seeing joy despite trials and difficulties? Are you seeing patience? Are you seeing these qualities? That's a good indication. And honestly... If, you want, if you're like me and you want just a really practical example, I think Titus does it when, he, when, he gives the, the, when Paul gives the qualifications of being an elder, a teacher. He gives a real practical, just point blank, this is what you need in someone who's pouring into your church. So wouldn't we want that for ourselves? And so I think if you need a more practical than just saying look at their fruits, look at Titus, look at these examples of a, of the qualifications of an elder and look for that in a person who's pouring in you because you're going to need somebody who's carrying you along this journey, this hard, unpopular journey that in this time of your life. It's important. It's vital. It's part of being a part of the church.
Secondly, test the appearance of your own actions. Verses 21 through 23 say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Building on this idea that not everybody's good at, at investing in you, they're not appropriate to invest in you, Jesus goes there. And he says probably the hardest verse, probably the scariest verses in the Bible, and says, Look, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to be in heaven. I'm going to say plainly to them, I, I don't know you. But I don't th- put yourself in their shoes as they're hearing this. How can you not turn this to a personal reflection? Like, oh, well, those people aren't going? What, what about me? That was my response this week is, well, how do I know that this isn't me? Lord, Lord, I, I, I mean, I was a pastor, and I dealt with junior hires trying to teach me how to ski. What, why, why am I not getting... I, I mean, that's, that's a personal response to this, and I don't think that that's bad because it looks on the surface like this is all good. I mean, they say, Lord, Lord, and, and it's not that Jesus just doesn't like the name Lord. Lord is actually a very beautiful term for, for God. It, it's actually the English translation of the Greek word, of the Hebrew translation, of Jehovah. Jehovah, which means I am, which speaks to God's eternality, the fact that he was, he is, and he will be, the fact that he is, he is the supreme being, the ruler over all. It's not that Lord is just a a flippant statement that we use to describe this thing in the sky. No, it has deep meaning, and the people of this time definitely knew that. And not only did they just say it sarcastically like, Lord. No, they go, Lord, Lord. And if you know Scripture, anytime you see something repeated like that, it's to draw emphasis. And so they're just crying out, Lord, Lord. And not only that, they're doing things in front of people. It says that we are... We are proclaiming this in front of people, doing miracles in your name. Driving out demons. I've never driven out a demon. But yet Jesus can turn and look at them and say, I never knew you. That seems harsh. That seems wrong. Look at all that they're doing. I mean, where, where are they missing? Luke helps us out. Luke also records the Sermon on the Mount for us. He records it in Luke chapter 6. Luke 6:46 gives us a little bit of insight here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Sounds like they're doing what he says, but they aren't. What has Jesus called us to do? Well, look even at the verse before that. And Jesus is describing that he doesn't care about the actions. That's, that, that's hard to say in, at the front of a church, but he doesn't care about the actions. He cares about the heart. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's saying get away from the religious actions and let's deal with the heart. And so even the verse before that in, in Luke, it talks about how, look, get your heart right and the actions come. Look at James. It's all over the book of James where it's, it's out of the outflow of your heart 
yeah, deeds, actions, they're fruits, they're byproducts. They are what occurs because of the reality of an inward change. And so Jesus is saying, look, I don't want the appearance of, of these good things to somehow dictate a reality that's not true. He's saying, give me the reality, give me a true life change, and the fruits are naturally going to occur. They're going to happen. It's, it's, it's a response. And so he's saying here, no. <laughs> they might say all these things and, and do all these things, but if there's no heart change, I mean, isn't that what he calls the religious leaders when he says they're just loud gongs? I don't want to be a loud gong. It's vital that we test the appearances of our actions because honestly, it's easy for us to get distracted in a church by looking horizontally at each other. Am I right? When we start looking, oh, that family, yeah, those kids are really doing really well. <sighs> if only I was as spiritual as them. Well, I'm more spiritual than, than, than Susie because, you see, Susie, yeah, she, she's got serious problems. And then, well, I gave more than them or I come to church more often. That's easy. That's easy to have happen because we know the fruits that should be produced. And so we make that the whole, where we just have to produce enough fruits, and so we focus on producing the fruits and not the life change, and thereby we deceive ourselves. But honestly, I coach basketball for 5th and 6th graders this winter. If I had just suited up and jumped in with the 5th and 6th graders, yeah, we would have been undefeated, and I probably would have scored 100 points, but does that make me a good basketball player? Not at all. That means that I'm comparing myself to about four foot high. It, it just doesn't happen. It, it, it's not a fair comparison. And so stop comparing ourselves amongst each other at the Facebook snapshots of our, each other's lives and actually compare ourselves to what we're called to compare ourselves to. It's not each other. It's to Christ. And so we do a disservice when we start either elevating people because they do just a little bit more. And we do a disservice when we try to do a little bit more so that we can be elevated and deem that as spirituality. It's a dangerous, dangerous game when we make our visible deeds the life change that we think it is. Deal with, deal with your heart and the deeds will come. Finally, Jesus says to test the appearance of your trust. Look with me at 24 through 27 here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down and streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built uh, his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. We've heard this parable before. And Jesus is, this is the conclusion of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, look, I've said a lot, a lot of hard things. You now have a choice. We now have a choice. Listen to just some of the things that Jesus has talked about. Going the extra mile. for the, Well, in that case, the Roman who might have killed people that you love carry his gear an extra mile. 
even though it's not required of you. Take aggressive action against those sins in your life that entangle you. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Be a person who is giving. The fact that your heart is more important than your actions. Stop worrying. Rely on the Lord through prayer and fasting. These are whole paradigm shifts for people then, and I think for us too today, if we actually apply them. They're whole paradigm shifts. So Jesus is saying, look, I know it's hard. He's never lied about that. But he's saying it's worth it because he's saying, honestly, if you choose otherwise, if you choose not to build your house with a foundation, it's not going to go very well for you. We wouldn't do that today. We're not building a house. Scott Lovey, can you attest to this? You're not building a house without a foundation. But yet, if we choose not to apply these words because, well, it's hard and, I don't know, just the, I think I can manage on my own, then we're, we're being that foolish. We're building a house without a foundation. But yet he says that if you hear my words... If you put trust in me, that I am who I say, that I am God, that I created everything and created you, so I think I know what you need and how you should live better than you do. If we could truly protest to that and wrestle, yes, we'll have to wrestle with these things, but wrestle to apply them to our lives and what we hear, well, then we're digging deep. Then we're building that foundation. And I think the reason so many of us fail to do that is because we look around and the houses look the same. The foundation is under the surface. The foundation is hidden. We don't see it. What exposes it? A storm. A storm does that pretty well. I think all of us can think of a time, even just in this past year, that, that we got shaken. That that storm, that, that, that crisis has shaken us to our core. And it's in those moments that we truly, truly we'll start to see what our, our trust is in. Is it in our, our own self, the shifting sand of whatever culture says, of whatever we kind of deem as appropriate that day? Oh, he's, he's accurate. That's what's going to happen. Great crash. But if your trust is in the Lord, yes, you will still have storms. He doesn't say the storms won't come if you do this. He says, no, you're going to have storms, and I will hold you up. Because I am the rock. I am the foundation. So we need to be desperately testing what are we trusting in? Is it me? Is it other people? Is it whatever it is? Or is it in the truth of what God has written here? Okay. Conclusion. I've had this up here. This is my favorite coffee cup. This is my favorite coffee cup. And actually inside is my favorite coffee. Toasted southern pecan at Cameron's. Uh, go go to Triggs, get you some. It's the best. Even it's got my favorite creamer, French vanilla in here. It, it, it's a good cup of coffee. But this passage, this, the, this whole time as I was studying this, my mind kept going to the church of Laodicea. The church at Laodicea in, in Revelation, John writes letters from God to different churches. In Laodicea, it says that they relied on their deeds the appearance of their deeds and what if they look good or not. They relied on themselves. It says they stored up their own wealth, not trusting the Lord that he would provide. That's the church of Laodicea. What else is said of the church of Laodicea? They were lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were somewhere in this 
middle area. And what's said of it? Well, this is what makes God sick. He literally says, I vomit you out of my mouth. It's disgusting. Hard, strong words from God. But think about it. This cup has been sitting up here this whole time. I love coffee. I love hot coffee. I love cold coffee. Maybe that's where the illustration breaks down because God still would prefer hot coffee over cold coffee. I love me some iced coffee. But you get it. This coffee has been sitting here. It has lost heat over time. This is no good. This has no purpose. It is nothing good. I know. How many of you want me to take a drink of it? Yeah, exactly. No. It's nasty. That is so easy to creep into our lives. This lukewarmness where we start to fail to, to test the appearance of, of the realities around us. And so we might start off as really, really hot, really on fire. But over time, maybe we stop testing who's pouring in our lives, what we're allowing to invest in our life, what's investing in our kids' lives. And so we cool off just a little bit. Or maybe we, we over a little bit longer, it's like, well, I go to church and we rely on the actions, even reading your Bible or doing good things as being our spirituality, as being our relationship with Christ, our connection with Christ is just showing up. And that really cools us off quickly. And then pretty soon after that, our trust really isn't found in anything other than ourselves and, and, and just being sure we can do enough, go to church enough. And our trust becomes very different than what Jesus has described. And pretty soon we're in lukewarmness and... It's a dangerous place to be, playing church. And so my challenge for us today, test. Spend time reflecting. Where are those areas that we need to address, that we need to look at our own lives personally and say, I might put on a good show. I might wear my bow tie. But am I a Christian? Am I wrestling with this with God? Am I applying what he says? And yeah, that's scary. And yeah, that, that even exposes things. If you ask God to expose those things, he will. He will. Holy Spirit's good at it. He's done it to me several times. And then find, I'd encourage you, find that person who you have te- and you say, no, they are the example that I need. Latch on and talk. Disclose those areas because we all need those people to help us on that narrow road. We need people to encourage us not to fall off and go with the crowd. That's big. That's hard. I understand that. It is. But that's the reality of the situation because the stakes are high. Life, destruction. Those are the stakes that we're playing with. We need to be playing like we are all in on this. So that's my, my word for you today. If you're out here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if, if this is all kind of like, well, that's fine, I know what looking like a church is, and so I can, I can look like a person who goes to church, I know what they say, I know how they act, I know how they dress, and, and you're here sitting Sunday, you, you kind of blend in. Everybody here looks like a normal church person, but if you're here and you say, like, but I've never accepted Christ. I've never said that I really am sinful, that I need a Savior, that my sin is actually worthy of of eternal death, then we're going to pray here in a moment, and I'd encourage you to look up at me. 
And I would love to pray with you this morning and asking Jesus to come into your life. It's that easy. And so I would ask that um, we do. We just now bow. If, if, if that's not you, then be praying over this next step of looking and studying your life and seeing where you're cooling off. Let's pray.